You're listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, at CFRC, 1019 FM, Queen's University campus. Welcome back to Screening in Kingston. Uh, Taylor, why don't you uh, start the show off this time by saying something interesting? Uh, don't have much to say. Very good, thanks. Taylor. I hate when you put me on the spot like that. <laughs> well, the past couple of weeks, I just sort of start into whatever rant or opening thing I want to go into. I was just going to give you a, an opportunity to okay. to talk about whatever you want. Well, uh, Dan and I watched Floor is Lava on Netflix. What's that? That's ten episodes of TV. I'll never get back. <laughs> oh, it's, okay, so first of all, it's a series, and it wasn't any good. It was a reality TV show oh. produced for Netflix, and the premise of the show is that the floor is lava. Um, okay. And... Like, not real lava. Like, no, you don't die if you fall in. Gotcha. It's but like a game. The game, yeah. Okay. And so the first five episodes were pretty good, and then the next five episodes were the same rooms, and they kind of like weirdly changed the rules halfway through the show. Oh. Like the first five episodes made sense, and then the second five episodes, you're like, what? So... So it couldn't quite stick the landing for you. <laughs> good pun, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, good. Well, thank you for that. That's a great, uh, great start to the show. Then. Oh, and we got a badminton set. Oh, okay. There you go. So that's good news. <laughs> Badminton's fun. It's too hot to play though. That's true. Well, you could play it like early evening. Like it's still, I don't know, it's still pretty light out. But even eight o'clock at night, you could get in an hour of badminton. It's been di- too disgusting. We, I, I let Dan play with me for a couple minutes and then I was like and then you were no. done. <laughs> All done. I like how you worded that. I let Dan. <laughs> and then I then I'm out. <laughs> I was out pretty quick. Well we uh we've got uh, some fun stuff to talk about this week because now that we've wrapped up two movie clubs we're we actually get a treat because two new movies came to platforms, and we're going to be reviewing two new movies for kind of the first time in a little bit. Do you really consider the one you're going to review new? Yeah, it's new to a lot of people. I mean, I would say, okay, so, okay, it, it's Hamilton, everybody. <laughs> I'm going to the review musical. Hamilton. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the the fact that it was, it was recorded and only released now, and for a lot of people who haven't had a chance to see it because Broadway is so expensive, and for years, Hamilton was the impossible ticket to get. Um, yeah, I would still call it new. Fair enough. In that sense. Um, and really, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review two things within Hamilton. I'm going to review the musical, and then I'm going to review how the musical was recorded, like the, the movie, quote-unquote. I know you have a lot of feelings about this kind of stuff. Lots of feelings. And I have lots of feelings about this. But we'll get to Hamilton. We're, we're going to tease Hamilton. We're going to get there. But uh, then we also, uh, you, you, last week, surprised me on this show by introducing me to a movie I didn't even know was coming to Netflix. Yeah. Uh, the, the Eurovision Song Contest, the saga of, well, no, it's the Fire Saga. Story of Fire Saga or something like that. It's a long name. We should probably, cl- classic screening in Kingston. Do we know the name of the movie? No. Not really. Does the movie know the name of the movie? I mean, it's it's pretty ridiculous, but we're we're going to I've just been calling it Eurovision. Or, you were right. Yeah. It's Eurovision Song Contest: The Story of Fire Saga. Story of Fire Saga. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um you you shocked me out of nowhere by saying that. I didn't know what that was, and we're reviewing that this week. Um yeah. we've both seen it, so that'll be that'll be kind of a the, the first review, and then I'll get on to, to Hamilton after that. And, of course, we have fan questions to, to start things off. So that's that's Great. our show. But I, I'm just happy that it's it's relatively new stuff that we get to talk about. Yeah, and not 
me reviewing the floor is lava. Yeah, the floor is exactly. I'm glad we glad we haven't gone to, to that where we're we talking that low reality yet. TV. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. I hate more <laughs> than than reality television. So I'm. But like, is a game show the same as reality TV? Um, like, would you watch? Like, it's very the show is very much like Wipeout. Did you ever watch Wipeout when it was on cable? I wasn't a fan of Wipeout. Oh, then you wouldn't like this. Um, I would say like, like whose line is it anyway? Was fun because that's like improv, and that's then game, game show, show game shows are fun. Um, like Jeopardy is nice to watch, um, test your knowledge, but I don't know, watching people, watching people avoid the floor because they think it's lava is not, I don't know, it doesn't, not up your alley, not really, not really, like it doesn't have the same appeal to me as most other things, (laughs) but, but hey, to each his own, some people will like that. Well, um, you haven't had to review it yet. Yet, yes. So and hopefully we'll enter phase three of reopening before we have to start reviewing original game shows for Netflix. I hope so. I just, I don't know. I don't know what when that's going to happen and what things are going to look like. But yeah, I, I hope you're right. I hope we don't have to get to that level where we're reviewing that type of thing or, or whatever. What are those shows that are always on of like, let's change houses and then decorate each other's houses and, this, and surprise the other person? I guess those are kind of reality. Yeah. I'm like like home improvement. Yes, kind of like, yeah, kind of like where you, you've won, I guess, the opportunity for someone to completely give your house a makeover, but then you trade houses and, and, you have to surprise the other person without like consulting them. So I don't know. It's just that type of thing has never been of interest to me. Fair enough. Um, as I said, we do have some fan questions to kick things off. Uh, so we will start there. Uh, Josh writes in and says, Oh, Hey, uh, with COVID travel restrictions coming and going in different parts of the world, do you think this will open up new locations for filming that might have been previously overlooked or completely avoided? I hate COVID questions. Because <laughs> it's like, I don't know. We don't have as much knowledge as um, our fans seem to think we do. Because th- this is not the only COVID question we have today. No, we get them all the time. Yeah, we have more today. So, yeah, we don't have... <laughs> we're not COVID experts. I don't know if we've ever pretended that <laughs> and we certainly never pretended to be movie experts no no yeah we <laughs> this is a movie show and we we're not even movie experts but sure let's answer your COVID-19 questions um I mean I would think think being the key word that what Josh is asking is exactly what will have to happen because you can't you can't travel to some places there are some restrictions and I know that like I know because I've been keeping track of it that some of the Marvel TV shows that are going to Disney Plus have resumed fil- filming in the Czech Republic because yeah. that's where they were filming and the Czech Republic opened up and allowed them to do that. Um, but that's not going to be the case for everywhere. Uh, so I don't know. I, 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 don't, I would imagine you, you, as a filmmaker, if you want to get back to filming you, and you, okay, you want to you film in one particular place but you can't meet the rules or there's too high restrictions, then you will have to change. Um, in sports, we're seeing that right now. This uh, again, it, and one of my interests is sports, so that's the only reason why I know this. Is they were considering hockey hub cities to be in the United States because of everything happening and the uncertainty around COVID. They decided to cut the U.S. out of it completely, and both hub cities are in Canada because they feel it's going to be safer for the players to basically be in an athlete's village type bubble. Um, where Canada has, has, you know, done a better job in these particular areas that they're selecting. So I could see filmmakers having to be that specific, saying, well, I don't want to put my crew at risk or I can't meet the the restrictions that are here in some places. I could see um, maybe this will be, like, we'll see a development of nation-specific film, if that makes sense. Like, hopefully this would encourage Canadians to film in Canada. Yeah. And, like, German people will film in Germany. Which, like, national film did that anyways. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's more so, um, 
how, like, the type of film we're going to have access to needs to change. Like, less how we film and more the film we're exposed to, if that makes sense. I think it does make but, sense to me because the only thing that COVID really affects, if you think about it, is the actual filming time. You can edit and score and do a lot of things without large contacts with the large groups of people. Yeah. So if, if, they, if you're able to, to film in one particular area and you, it kind of forces you to do that, everything else post-production in a movie, the, the way I at least understand it, you can do from anywhere in any way. So I think you're actually right that that might simply be, the, if that's the only barrier, then people may just simply film um, where they are or film in places like, you know, like Josh is suggesting that maybe they've overlooked. But maybe we will see that. Maybe we'll see some more smaller independent movies, but they're able to get their stuff done because they just film from Germany. They do all their editing. They can isolate. They don't have to worry about large studios. And then suddenly you get more independent film. And just as an aside, this isn't like me looking into my crystal ball, but it does mean that <laughs> in, uh, filmmakers are going to have to get a little more creative. So what was in the news recently... Um, for our fans who are missing Not A Great Plan, um, <laughs> there were some headlines about how uh, actors have recreated uh, The Prince's Bride, like shot for shot. Oh, cool. But it's like they filmed it in their houses. <laughs> and so that's going to be released on a streaming platform, and I think it's for their raising funds for a charity. But, um, you know, each scene is contained to that actor's house so there's multiple actors playing the same character and they've edited together into a film wow that's see that type of stuff i'd love to see more of so that's probably you know that's what we're in for maybe yeah um really like i feel like you could probably film in canada right now and it would be fine yep but like the united states is such a dumpster fire right now yeah you're not they're not going to be filming anything there there's no. no way. No. So, <laughs> I don't really know what to say for America. So that's why I think we're probably going to see, hopefully, just as we're coming off our Canadian film club, hopefully this will be an opportunity that Canada can really step in and produce some really good, high-quality media right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Any, any, if anyone can, can produce anything over the coming months i think it's been proven that people are starving for for new things whether it be movies or other forms of entertainment so yeah if you can if you can get creative then now's the best time yeah uh next question from josh is do you think that movies being split into two parts allows for an overall better experience by being able to introduce more or do you think that studios being greedy Examples I could think of would be the final Harry Potter movie or the final Hunger Games movie. Okay, Josh. Greedy. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> no I, question. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I think it's greed. Um, I've never seen it done well. That's exactly. Even, that's, even the Hobbit movies. Yeah. Like, like I, the Hobbit movie did not need to be three or no, whatever it was. No. Like, so there are three Lord of the Rings books, so it makes sense to make those into movies. And even then, they probably, like, there were things you probably are missing, and that's why there's extended cuts. But I've never seen the split of a book into two movies really work. Because even, like, so the examples he gives, I didn't see the Hunger Games final movies because, like, I didn't care. Uh, I think I saw the first movie and was like, I'm done with this. But... Harry I think Potter. they did it with um, Twilight, like the last Twilight movie. Oh, really? Two parts. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even know that. Well, but like Harry Potter, the second it didn't need to be two. No, the second movie was all climax. Like you can't have a movie that has almost no setup to it because the previous movie is set up. But like you can't do that. Like the thing that did it well. Now this isn't because it's based on a, on a book, but the, but the movie that did it well was was the Avengers with Infinity War and with um, uh, Endgame. Both movies are sustainable as their own movie. They both go through a trajectory of a story where you're introduced to characters, you have set up, you go through it through a climax and some sort of resolution. 
They weren't like part one, part two, were they? Yeah, they were technically. Oh. They were, they, like, it, the end game picks up at the end of Infinity War because it basically sort of ends on a climax, but it ends on the climax of a, of, of a movie where it's like there's still somewhat of a resolution. Like, it ended. And you were like, well, that storyline is over, but like, what does happen next? Like, you were kind of left with a cliffhanger. So it didn't, it picked up, Endgame picked up at the climax of the other movie, but then quickly wrapped that storyline up and continued along the way. They actually did it very well. It's the only time I've seen it done well. Like, Deathly Hollows, I think, was the last Harry Potter movie. That second movie was not good because it was all end sequence battle thing. It should have been either, yeah, like one movie cut things together, or, like, the split was done in a very weird spot. If you're going to split the movie up, I still think it has to be a complete story. You have to have everything in it so it can still stand well on its own. I just, I don't see the... I, I guess I've never seen it done well, so I'm like, what's the point? Yeah, and you're right. It's greed. Like, there's no other I reason. think 100%. It's greed. How can we milk this franchise yeah. for all that it's worth? Um, which like, again, I'm not going to say like, you know, that's to each his own in terms of even that decision, but like most artists, I'm going to talk about it later with Hamilton. Most artists do things for eventually for the decision of money. They may start out wanting to tell their story and do whatever, but like eventually if money talks, like if a studio comes to you and is like, okay, here's the amount of money, the artists involved are like, sure, absolutely. We'll do it. Um, and we saw it with it, you know, there wasn't going to be an it chapter two until there was the success of it chapter one right I, and i saw articles that john kurzinski wasn't going to make a quiet place too no and i bet you know once they once cut you the see chat, the money yep and the studio probably come you know again it's again i'm not going to always pin everything on the artist but they do they do have decisions here when he completed that and they cut him the check they probably came to him as the studio be like okay we want you to make another one here's how much we're willing to pay you and he went sure because or, we all would <laughs> alternatively because this happens too um okay we're, we want to make another one here's the check we'll pay you and he goes oh no i don't want to i think i've had enough you know yeah. story to tell and they say okay we'll hire someone else then yeah so if you're between you continuing your own legacy or someone taking it over yeah I'll take the check. And uh, it was the same with, I can't remember uh, which director it was. I, I, I want to say I heard this about the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. I just can't remember which Batman movie it was. He said no. And then they said, okay, here's a bigger check. And then he said, oh, okay. <laughs> like, again, saying no for those reasons. Like, I've told my Batman story. This is it. I don't want to do another one. And they said, yeah, but like, here's a bigger pile of money. And it happened with um, uh, the author of Hannibal, Thomas Harris, I think is his name. Uh, it might, I might be wrong on that one. But um, the studios approached him, I'm pretty sure. Right. And they said, we want a, a sequel. Or, a, 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 sorry, a prequel. Like, we want the origin story of Hannibal. And Thomas Harris said, no, I'm not interested and they said, well, we're going to make the movie whether you like it or not. So we wrote a novel. Yeah. And it's the worst. Uh, it's like the worst of the Hannibal books, right? right. Um, yeah. So it, ha it, it happens all the time, right? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, the studios want to make money and they, know, they, think, they think they know what sells. And so um, the creative talent behind it have to make decisions mm -hmm. but you know like like if someone offered us a million dollars and we had to sell out this podcast you better I, believe i'd do it in a heartbeat yeah i would i would i would do anything <laughs> like like don't even sell the podcast. i would do anything if they were like okay we're gonna pay you both a million dollars a year and you can only talk about disney stuff and it has you to be You better believe I'd get Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd, be, I'd be the biggest <laughs> Disney cheerleader for the rest of my life. Like, like, there's no... You know, that's the thing that people don't understand. Is like, it's it's sort of easy to, to say no to that when the offer's not coming your way. And there's lots of great people who do really well with it. But th that's the thing. Like, what I would do in that scenario and what I would hope you would be on board for doing, Taylor, is we would, yeah, we would change the name to the Disney Plus podcast. 
And then we would go start our own. We'd take our million dollars and go do whatever the heck we wanted with it and do another. You know, I'm a Robert Pattinson, right? Exactly. Like, that, I, will, I will star in the Twilight movie. For sure. If it means I can later become Batman. Yeah, and, and he, he got to do all these great... We, we, I feel like we keep talking about him every <laughs> week. We're, we're actually the Robert Pattinson podcast. Yeah, exactly. He's the one paying us. Um, but he... He's the he did it the right way, and it's the same argument I always make when when people say you know all Marvel movies blah 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 horrible for film. Well, look at the amount of money that that real artists can take now and go do something with. He's made so many independent movies. He now he's going to be Batman. He he's doing the projects he wants to do. He's you know he's an actor. People forget that this it's a job. He, he's he's not interested in being famous. He's interested in being an actor. And yeah. fame comes with that for film. It just does. Which it doesn't always for, for Broadway and stage. It does a little bit nowadays than more so than it used to. But for film, you have to become a star, basically. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from Bryce, uh, who says, With the uncertainty around rules once theaters open, do you think that masks will be mandatory in the actual theaters? As in when you actually take your seat. I could see having to wear a mask when you walk in, get your tickets, go to the bathroom, take your seat. But once you're there and sat down, and you're, will you be able to take it off because you're not going to be able to move again? How else am I going to get my yummy popcorn? Would love to know your thoughts on this. And for the record, I support masks inside public places, but I just wonder how you think this will work in movie theaters. Would love to know your two cents on this and any insights you might have. Well, no I'd insights. I'd love to, to know where Bryce is writing from. Uh, um, hold on. Can I? No, I can't tell. Is you that. he a Kingstonian? It does not say. Uh, this was from the website, so Bryce wrote in from the website. So it's basically just name, email, and uh, your your write ups. There's no other information. Right. Yeah. Um, because in Kingston, uh, for people who are Kingston centric, and this is where the show is taped or recorded. Sorry. Um, taped (laughs) it's now of course mandatory in public buildings yeah um so i'm fairly confident that yeah you would have to wear the mask when not shoveling popcorn into your face yeah i could see you you know just you can pull the mask down or move it out of the way shove the popcorn in your face and then put the mask back on um I mean, I could, again, I could see it being both ways. I could see once you sit down, if you're not going to move again, taking the mask off. But I feel like for smaller theaters, that won't work because I could see that in the larger, like we have two large theaters in Kingston, um, the Cineplex and Landmark. If there's only four people a row or something and you can sit in pairs, but there's not a lot of people. Okay. I could see them being more lenient, but the screening room, it's too tight. Like even at 25% capacity, you're, you're still going to have a couple people per a small row. Like it might be four people in a very tiny row. So I, I think for, for safety concerns and, and from what the mandate says, yeah, you probably have to keep it on the whole time. And like, I guess, you know, it's, it's so hard to predict because theaters are included in phase three of reopening. Yeah. Um, again, in Ontario, if Bryce is writing from America, because we have, have some American listeners, things are going to be completely different. Right? Yeah, and depending upon what state even you're in. Yeah. So in Ontario, in phase three, theaters are allowed to open. Who's to say that by by the time we're in stage three, they haven't rolled back the mandatory masks? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there's no way to know how long we even need to wear masks. No, there's no way. No. So Yeah, and, um, and you're absolutely right. It might just be something that you find out as they roll out phase three whenever that happens. Because um, right now, you know, the masks are indoor public places. Do you have to wear a mask when you're in a residential place? No. Do you have to wear a mask on a patio or outside? No. But you do inside any basically public commercial space. So I know a lot of restaurants that have their patios open have signs basically saying, okay, if you want to use our washrooms, you have to put a mask on to walk inside. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess you're, you're right, Taylor. I think it comes down to, will masks get rolled back? Will there be certain leniencies? They, again, for phase three, they might be specific for movie theaters and say, you have to wear a mask until you sit down, and then you can take it off. 
I don't know. Like we're not going to know that until until that happens. Um, no special insights here, but we have our no. thoughts. <laughs> uh, Katie asks, I just watched three Wes Anderson movies, and I love these movies. Taylor, who is your favorite actor from Wes Anderson movies? Thank you, Katie. Um, I don't know if he's been canceled yet, but um, Adrian Brody. Oh, did Adrian Brody do something? I didn't. I don't know. I feel Not like he's one of those actors that if he hasn't been canceled yet, it's only a matter of time. I'm going to Google that later. Um, but a, 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 in terms of like all the Wes Anderson movies, like you think Adrian Brody fits the style the best? Or like why would you Oh, sorry. That? Was that the question? No, I no, I was just following <laughs> up. No, Katie's question was just your favorite actor from Wes Anderson movies. So it doesn't matter how many they've been in. Um, but I'm just curious as I to why you picked Adrian him. Brody. Okay. Am I, am I confusing him? Who do you think he is? Here I am, like, Adrian Brody. <laughs> well, it depends who you think Adrian Brody is, like, from which Wes Anderson movie? Yes. Okay, sometimes I forget, mix him up with the guy from uh, the OC. Not, like, their looks, but their names. Oh, oh, that, yeah, yeah. But Adrian Brody is the guy you're, you're I'm yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, I just Googled. Yeah. That is okay. exactly who I mean. The guy from The Pianist. Yeah. He was in Grand Budapest Hotel and yeah. Midnight in Paris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know if he has done something bad in his personal life, but, like, he might have. Okay. <laughs> All and right. So well, I mean, we can look that up later. I'm going to stand by Adrian Brody, okay. but I might, I, I might get some slack for it because I haven't recently... Googled his background. Yeah, and you—that's you, the thing. You do have to stay up date to date with these things pretty quickly. So sometimes things can can slip through. It, it's the unfortunate way things work, right? Yeah, like that's like sometimes things slip through and you don't hear about it. Like that's that's the unfortunateness of things. Um, okay, so Adrian Brody, there you go. Um, okay, that's. Oh, I thought there was one more fan question. There is not. Um, so thank you to Josh, uh, Bryce, and Katie for your questions. Just a reminder to people with our new website, you can go on to screeninginkingston.com and fill out the form uh, anytime before Monday at 3 o'clock, and you can submit your questions that way, or you can still email us to our email, screeninginkingston at gmail.com. But the website uh, form takes about two seconds, so you can feel free to send your comments there. Um, let's get into some movie reviews. So let's talk about uh, Eurovision. Let's do that Ooh. one first. We, we both ja, saw ja, it. ding dong. Ja, ja, ding <laughs> dong. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> that's that, all you need to know. That's all you need to know about, about that, uh, that thing. So, yeah, uh, Taylor, let, dive into it. Give us the background. What What is this movie first? Give us the quick, okay. quick details. So number one. This movie is about the Eurovision Song Contest, which, which is, is a real a thing. Very <laughs> real contest. Yeah. It may not seem real in the movie. Nope. <laughs> but it is very real and it's as weird as the movie makes it seem. Number one. So if you don't know what the Eurovision Song Contest is, you may want to do a little background research. Oh, I don't know, Taylor. I went into it with only what you told me. And okay, okay. <laughs> and boy, right. was that interesting. Yeah, I had the same thought. I had the same thought going basically as I was watching. Be like, there's no way this is real. Like I kept thinking that, and it made <laughs> it funnier to find out later that it was, and to watch things from it. They give you <laughs> enough detail where you're like, okay, I, I like understand the rules. Yeah, I get the like, general no idea. No way this is yeah a real contest. Yes. And then you're like, oh my gosh, it is a real contest, and those rules are those rules are real. Yeah, yeah, and and that's it's the I mean the rules are are just so wild to me. But again, the voting like the, yeah, the, way voting the system, system works, yeah. that's real. The eight really so the eight, ten, twelve yeah. votes per country and thing. Like, and typically, in real life, the countries just give the points to their neighbors. Like, it's not actually based on whether or not the song is good. They just give it to the neighbors. Just and, like, no one votes for the UK because everyone hates the UK. <laughs> That's so, funny. So it's very political. <laughs> yeah, but, like, not... Just, like, 
<laughs> like not real politics, just like I don't know cultural bias. So cultural bias, yeah. um, or like stereotypes, yeah. like oh. The Scandinavian countries have to support Scandinavia. Stuff right, like that. Right. So, um, the movie opens with a young Lars, I think is his name. Lars, Who yeah. is later portrayed by Will Ferrell. He um, discovers the magic of Eurovision when he watches ABBA perform in 1974. I think is there. Yeah. And uh, he makes it his life's mission to win Eurovision. And his best friend, played by Rachel McAdams, um, is like his song partner. Yeah. Um, and so through a series of events, they end up at Eurovision. A series of ridiculous events. <laughs> this is a... So I mentioned... On last week's episode, when just kind of introducing you to the film, I thought, okay, this is going to be, like, Will Ferrell at his, like, peak Will Ferrell. Like, yeah. not him, like, oh, I'm doing a serious movie, like he did with that skiing movie. No. This is, like, Will <laughs> Ferrell, Tyne Day and Ice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blades of Glory. Oh, yeah. This is, this is Will Ferrell just at his most... Goofy. Goofy character and he always like when he's at his best i find he you know he's he's always the kind of naive a little bit innocent or at least cut off from the world type character where there, there's something almost wholesome about the way he does things it's like it just seems like kind of a goofy guy even when he's being gross yeah like it's just so goofy and there's something that just like you you look at his face and you start laughing just because of what he's doing with it and because he's just so confused or trying to like and you you feel for him and that's the one thing that this movie did in an odd way is like I was kind of rooting for them and him because of all the things they set up with like the issues with his father and because of all the the songs like even though they were so ridiculous and bad, you could see him trying so hard and how much he cared about it. And I think Will Ferrell does that really well. And, um, I gotta say, the songs are pretty catchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are, yeah. So, Eurovision Song Contest, again, if people don't know, is a musical co a contest. Like, people sing songs, yeah, and then the country with the best song wins. Although, as we know, the best song... Doesn't always win. No. Like, there's no. more involved. There's a lot more involved. Than but, um, so, there are some original songs in this film, and they're not too bad. Like, some of them are pretty catchy. Yeah, that's, it's true. And, and for the most part, I mean, the music was relatively well done across the board. Um, I know, like, Rachel McAdams isn't singing, but, you know everything else and everyone else seems to be singing and seems to be doing a pretty good job at it. So so the guy who was in Beauty and the Beast. Dan uh, Stevens. He's not singing. He's not singing either? No. Oh, I thought he was. So there you go. Aaron, my best friend who I watched it with, she mm -hmm. was in Scotland and I was here in Kingston and we coordinated a streaming party. She did a little bit of research because she was curious too. So uh, a real opera singer is singing for Dan Stevens. Mm. And a former Eurovision contestant is singing for Rachel McAdams. Yes. But they've done um, it in such a way that they've layered the two voices. Yes. So, yeah, that I, that I had read about where she's she is singing, but they layer the other voice. Like a good singer, I guess. Yeah, a good singer <laughs> on top of it. So you kind of get a mix of both. And it also makes it look better because you have to believe that they're actually good yeah and she is a good singer in the movie like whoever they got to do the singing she mm -hmm. is talented oh yeah like whoever they had do the singing um was very good I, I i'm just a fan of if you're if you're going to do something with music just cast people who can sing and just just do that i mean i think 
it's been proven that most movies have access to, to how many humans are there on Earth right now? Like seven. So you don't think Rachel McAdams should have been in the movie? No, I think if you're going to have her be in the movie, either have her sing or if you're not happy with her voice. I've never heard Rachel McAdams sing. So like I can't say if she's good or bad, but like either have Obviously her in the movie. not good enough. I guess so. But that's the <laughs> thing, like then just replace her. Like, the, you know, I don't know. I, um, I think if you're going to do what they did, they did it right, where, you know, it's lip syncing, essentially, although Will Ferrell did his own singing. He did his own sure. singing. That sounds yes. like his voice. Yeah. Oh, no, that's him. Um, yeah, that's him. And he, he does sing. N- not necessarily well, but he does sing. So he's <laughs> okay, think, though. I've, I've heard him do, like, he's okay. He's not. He's not horrible. No, I mean, no. Like, he can pass. Like, he's a passable singer. So I think, you know, do what they did where you cast the people you want to cast, but then it's essentially lip syncing over like a good track. Not what Disney's doing currently by casting people who don't sing but and still them letting sing. them sing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the, <laughs> you know, that that's obviously the, in terms of like if we're, if we're going to like rank the best case scenario to the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is you cast people who can sing and you have them sing and there you go. Second best case scenario is probably this, where you're overlaying voices so it looks good and you get the people you want who sound good. Or, you know, in and then the, the worst case scenario is you cast people who can't sing for some reason. Um, I just think, again, I think there are 7 million-ish people, or 7 billion people. They couldn't have found you can't, a Rachel yeah. McAdams type you could have, actually can sing. You probably could have. <laughs> but again, it's, it's, the, it's the studio system mentality of we need names to sell things. Um, and but the funny thing is, um, and Aaron and I talked about this, she really hasn't been in a lot lately. Um, in a way, it was almost weird casting. Like, she's not... Yeah, she's an A-lister in the sense that everyone knows her. Yeah. But, like, she's not current. She had a big movie. Like, one was, like, Game Night did really well at the box office. But that's got to be at least a year and a half, if not two. That's what I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been two years ago. Yeah, because I can't, in 2019, did she have a movie? I can't, I can't remember if she did. But, like, would you have ever dreamed... Of Rachel McAdams starring opposite Will Ferrell. No, I would have put no, I would have put Kristen Wiig in this movie. Yeah. Um, I would have put Maya Rudolph. I would have put an SNL what? person. It worked. Yeah, she, I mean, she's good. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with with Rachel McAdams. She's very good. Um, the singing thing is just I don't know. I'm just I guess I'm torn on this for two reasons. One being. I don't know. I don't know a metaphor that can work. Is it a Scarlett come. Johansson saying she can play a tree? Is it this kind of situation? <laughs> no, no, no. Let I... a tree play a tree and let a vocalist be a vocalist. <laughs> let a tree play a tree. Yeah, no. I think it's like, it's, to me, when you're when you're making a film, or when you're making anything, I was trying to come up with a metaphor, but off the cusp. But like, get I feel the like best, best is what you're thinking, right? Hmm? Like, get, get the... Get the cast best. the best person for the role, yeah. even if they're a nobody. Yeah, cast the best person for the role, right? It, it's, it's you know, to, to me, it's you're, you're creating something as a team, whether you're a producer, director, or whatever. You're creating something. Why, why not make sure you have the best? Now, maybe the director and, or whoever cast her is like, we want Rachel McAdams, love working with her. She's great. Again, it's just the singing thing is like, so that's, you're adding a layer of work then to overlay all those voices to make it work. And I just don't get why they would even yeah, if why she's not good. get the actual eurovision contestant well yeah <laughs> that's kind of my point in a very roundabout way that shouldn't have taken me two minutes to say it that's basically my point yeah it's it's exactly what what you just said it's it's get, get the best people for the role regardless of who they are and 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 make it work but again i i do think people will go back to we got to sell whatever this is, so we've got to make sure we have some name recognition. But I do agree with you. I don't think she's necessarily an A-list star. Like, I think, or even that other um, SNL star that's been in a lot that I don't think you like very much, she was in the Ghostbusters. Who I don't like? I feel like you don't. Kate something. Kate McKinnon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, I don't think she's, I don't think she's as good as, as 
people give it credit for, yeah. But, like, that would have been more... I think that would have been more logical casting if they were going for that big name oh, definitely. comedy. Yeah, and that would have been pretty funny. <laughs> like, that that combo would have been funny. But I do agree with you. It's like, I, I didn't finish this movie, and I was like, Rachel McAdams stuck out in a bad way. I think she brought a vulnerability and a softness. Yes. Like, a real authenticity. Yeah. Whereas Kate McKinnon always feels like she's playing a bit. Yes. You know, like a, a sketch character. 100%. Yeah. You're like, right. yeah. Rachel McAdams was playing just, like, a character. Yeah, like, she was just right. acting. And Rachel McAdams has some, some great comedy chops. Oh, like, yeah. she's proven that before, but also in this movie. Like, she has great timing. It works. Probably another example of an actress who just really picks and chooses the parts she wants. Yeah. Well, and she can do that. I mean, she had so many hits um, near the beginning of her career that she probably can do that. Which is good, um, yeah. And and the the competition itself was was fascinating um, to watch and to kind of see how how things go. But I mean, th- this is a movie we were talking about it just before we started, Taylor. That really, I came out of it smiling, and I was entertained. But it's it's not it's not an amazing movie. <laughs> it's just no. fun. It's a lot of fun to watch. And we've said it. I've said it before on the show, like. There's lots of movies that I love that just aren't good movies. <laughs> yeah, like, true. you know, like, technically, <laughs> the technical skill that went into that film. Like, best direction, best writing? No. But was it super enjoyable? Would I watch it again? Yeah. Like, I would watch Eurovision again. It's definitely a fun summer comedy movie. It's you know what it reminds me of because I've remind I've I've compared it to other old Will Ferrell movies. It's like if I was at home at my parents' house who have cable and it came on the movie network, even if it you know maybe I missed the first twenty minutes, I would drop in, watch it to the end, flip the channel to something else at the end. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's very much like. Saturday afternoon. Definitely. Nothing to do. Turn on the movie channel. And it's drop there. in. Yeah. Great. Because you can drop in, because if you've seen it before, you kinda get what's going yeah. on. And it's it's funny and it's entertaining and it's gonna it's going to give you some joy for however long there is left <laughs> in it when you flip on the movie channel, right? Like yeah. it's just gonna put a smile on your face and gonna be fun. Um and, and how was the experience this time around like another sort of streaming with someone who's, who's well, in another part of the world. How, how was that experience? So we did it a little bit differently this time. Um, we didn't use Netflix Party, okay. which is what I used with Aparasha and um, Val. What we did was uh, Facebook allows you to make phone calls over Wi-Fi. So um, that's how Aaron and I talked so that we don't have to run up, like, an international phone bill. We yeah. Just, um, and the phone quality is pretty good. Very good. So what we did is she had her laptop open. I had my laptop open. And we had our phones on speakerphone. Um, and we did, like, a one, two, three. And we started the movie <laughs> at the same time. Nice. It is not perfect in the sense that our one, two, three wasn't perfect right. so I could still hear a little bit of her audio that was a little bit lagged you're right so that's what I like about Netflix party is that it stops and starts perfectly like it's in sync right right but Netflix party only allows a chat function so it was nicer um to be able to talk to each other while we were watching the movie yeah oh definitely. So, oh there's pros and cons to both methods and I know some people are having movie watch parties on Zoom. That's an option because you can do um, share screen on Zoom and stuff. So I'm sure there are ways to do things to have all of the like all the best functions. Um, I'll just be honest. I'm not like the most tech savvy person in the world, so you know that works. If we do it again, we'll probably do it that way again. Yeah. It's definitely a movie that you want to watch with a buddy. 
Okay. What yeah. did you say? Yeah. Oh, I yeah, I, I definitely agree with you about that. Like I think I think this is the type of movie that I probably missed a little bit of not having other people around to kind of feed off when it comes to laughter, the silliness of it. So I, I definitely agree with you um, on that one. So why don't you uh, why don't you give the film a rating? How would you uh, how would you rate the movie? You know what? <laughs> okay, if this was normal times, this would be a goofy, fun drive-in, see it movie for me. Yeah, right. Um, so I am gonna say it's a see it. Okay. Um, but again, knowing like if you're not into the Will Ferrell type comedy. This probably isn't for you. Although, it is. It was in a way. It was a little bit more wholesome than a lot of Will Ferrell movies. Oh yeah, there, it's definitely like it's not the type of comedy that that you can't in. Like I don't know what, what the rating even was on this in terms of like w- how young you could be to watch this. But I I don't remember a lot of of foul language or non. I guess yeah. Would, non-wholesome or shock humor or whatever like it was pretty wholesome when it comes to to a will ferrell movie yeah so for me it's a see it mm-hmm. if you can see it in a drive-in that would probably be a good venue for the yeah. summertime yeah get get some friends into the car yeah don't have to wear a mask because you're outdoors yeah this yeah. is a perfect drive-in movie i think like it, it's the to me, the perfect definition of what you want out of a drive-in movie. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was going to give it a stream it um, myself just because a lot of the similar reasons you just said. I think it's fun. It's exciting. I don't think it's for everyone. I mean, I don't think I would rush out to the theater to see it. But, you know, it, it, this would be like maybe a positive airplane it where I'd be excited to watch this on an airplane while I'm going somewhere or to stream it at home. Like, I think I would watch it again. So I, I'm the same boat as you i think i thought it was a lot of fun it's not the best movie ever but it's it's kind of what you wanted of a goofy comedy and if your expectations are just to have fun with it i think you're gonna be happy <laughs> watching yeah. the movie for sure uh, but there you go that's uh that's the the crazy uh based on a real event <laughs> eurovision um i'm very interested to see more about that and learn more about the actual contest because it sounds uh sounds wild um, i say in a way this film doesn't even capture the kitsch of it all oh i'm sure it doesn't like it's even more crazy in real life they were excited though it was on their website they were very excited for this movie it was on the website (laughs) you know you know the scene where it's like the death metal band oh yeah that like is probably the closest and dan steven's Song. His, his role, yeah, the tiger yeah, of like, love that's, or whatever. I, like, yep, that's a Eurovision <laughs> song. That's funny. not even a spoof. Like, wow. you could expect that at the contest. Wow, that's 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 so crazy. Um, the thing <laughs> things people will watch, but I guess I guess that's it, right? Like, that's that's what we've set up. We love these types of competition type uh, setups with like the masked singer and the voice and all that stuff. So, yeah, I guess it all. It comes from somewhere, and Eurovision has been around for a long time. So, um, okay, so moving on to talk a little bit about Hamilton. Uh, at the end, I I streamed Hamilton off of Disney Plus. Um, for those of you who don't know, but I think most people have a sense of what Hamilton is. It's a musical that's been on Broadway for the past couple of years. Um, it's been a huge hit on Broadway. It's been selling out. Um, it's it's kind of a phenomenon. It broke the record for most amount of Tony Award nominations. It does not hold the record for wins, though. That's still held with Mel Brooks as the producers. Um, but Hamilton was a musical sensation uh, that has struck the nation, and really for this generation, it's kind of their big musical. And, and I'll say, Taylor, for, for someone who came from a background of theater and, and was studying it and, and so involved in theater for so long, this happens every couple of years where a massive massive musical hits broadway and it's just a generation loves it wicked yeah wicked before that it was rent um before that it was hair like these musicals come out of nowhere and suddenly it sort of almost define the generation and that's probably the order it's probably goes like it's hair rent then wicked and now hamilton um and and hamilton and wicked 
I think, and even to some extent, Rent went beyond the scope of Broadway, you know, the, into the popular media and into other areas where people would know it. Even if you weren't a big musical theater fan, you start to hear the name and you start to know things and there's impact beyond that. Um, so Hamilton coming to Disney Plus is a big deal. So a lot of people haven't been able to see it. It's been really, I clearly, with accolades, it's been it's been touted as a as an amazing musical. Um, and I do have to say, so so I'm as I mentioned, I'm reviewing two things here. I'm going to quickly review the musical, but I'm going to spend a little bit more time on how the musical was shown to us because this is a movie podcast, and I want to talk about the 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 way it was uh, put forth as a movie. So the musical uh, is fantastic. It's a really great show. Uh, there's lots of catchy numbers in it. Um, couple numbers really do stick in your head even days later. You're still kind of like hearing the tune and you're humming it, um, which is the mark of a good musical, I think, if you can bring in music that gets into your head. Um, there's a couple things with Hamilton that, that uh, falls into musical theater trope. I think it's a little bit too long. I think it ends a little abruptly. I think they didn't quite know maybe how to end it. Um, I was not happy with the second act. The first act of the musical is super strong. The second act is weaker than the first. That happens in musical theater all the time. This is a, you know, this is an interesting musical because musically it's a lot of rap and hip hop, which you don't hear on musical theater stages a lot. Uh, unless it's Lin-Manuel Miranda who's writing it, um, because his first musical, In the Heights, kind of broke that um, mold a little bit. He did uh, In the Heights several several years ago, um, won a bunch of Tony Awards, not quite as big as Hamilton. But again, it's it's a similar style to if you liked In the Heights, you'll like Hamilton. Um, but he does a really good job, Lin-Manuel Miranda does, of writing this musical where there's a lot of really interesting historical things that happen, and he makes it very intriguing. Like he takes history things like a cabinet meeting, which you should be boring and dull, and turns it into a wrap-off scene. Like very, very interesting, very unique, um, great, great job overall on a production standpoint. The musical numbers is superbly done. The lighting cues are literally perfect. Um, the costuming and the ensemble is incredible. Uh, there's some great performances within here. Again, musical theater performances, though. That's, I'm going to talk about kind of <laughs> that in a second. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Devay Diggs. They play for the back of the room. They do. They do. And that's <laughs> detrimental when you film it. On film. <laughs> yes, yeah. it really is. Um, but, yeah, like Devay Diggs, uh, Jonathan Groff was great. Chris Jackson was great. Um, Leslie Odom Jr., who I didn't even know was in the original production of Hamilton. I've seen him in a bunch of movies. I had no idea this guy could sing. And I was like, what is he? He's like the lead almost. Like Hamilton's the lead in terms of like, it's all about Alexander Hamilton, which Lin-Manuel Miranda plays. But like Leslie Odom Jr. plays uh, Aaron, um, Aaron Burr, I think is his name, um, which is kind of like a rival, but also friend of Alexander Hamilton. Um, it is Burr, yes, it's Aaron Burr. Um, so uh, most of the music is him. Like it's interesting how how the role of Hamilton, even though it's the star, doesn't have the most mo vocally demanding part, which I think works because Lin Manuel Miranda is not the strongest singer. Um, he's he's very good at what he does. He's very good at the kind of the, the rap hip hop mix, the speaking fast. Like he's he's such a good lyricist which is very similar to a musical theater. Stephen Sondheim is really well known for kind of two things, and one of them is his, his crazy lyrics that you can fit fast speaking within a short period of time. And Lin-Manuel Miranda does it amazing. Like, he's, he's so good at it. Um, but anyway, the cast is great, the performances are great, and the musical is very good. So if you're, you ever have a chance to see this, if, if Broadway opens up again, like, I would go see this for sure. It it's, feels like it would be a fantastic thing. The only honest like criticism I have is just it's a little too long and he falls into some of the same musical theater tropes that you would see in other musicals. It is an operetta so it's like Les Mis, it's like Cats, it's all sung through. There, there's not dialogue, there's dialogue that's rapped um, or sort of spoken but in a singy way um, but that's it. Everything is pretty much sung all the way through so there are a couple tunes that are replayed throughout that come back in. It's done in very specific ways for certain characters or moments. So for the most part, it's done very well. But there were a few moments where I'm like, okay, this sounds a little too much like the song before. Like you would almost need the song list next to you to kind of keep track as to where you are 
um, in the soundtrack. But that's a problem a lot of musicals have, especially operettas. So I don't think that this is necessarily a knock against Hamilton, but um, overall, great production. Now let's talk about the filming of it, because that's a bit of a different story. Um, I, I really think that they need to stop here. And there's plans to make a Hamilton movie in a couple of years, and I think that's a terrible idea. This is the best possible way you can see a musical theater piece without actually being there. I get you want to be accessible, and I'm a big fan of that. Taylor, you're a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, thousands upon millions of people can now see Hamilton uh, for, for the price of Disney Plus a month versus spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on board for it completely. Then all you should do is point the camera at the stage and not move it. This, whoever was the cinematographer, got way too cute with the camera angles. Zoomed in at strange times, zoomed out at strange times, and it took away from the performances. The camera almost became a part of the act, and it should never be a part of the act in that way. It was very difficult because some of these performances are not meant to have your, a camera in their face. They're not acting that way. You need to back it up. You need to let them play to the room because sometimes it could come off as very um, cartoonish or over the top. But you have to be in theater because you're playing to the back. So I think the camera actually hurt things. I'm glad I saw it, but I, I was hoping they would just stick the camera and, and maybe select moments to zoom in and out, which is fine. Or track the action, right? Exactly. Track the action. But that's it. You don't need to zoom up on people's face. And it was too, it was too being cute. Okay, here's a great moment. We're going to get in there. Like the cam it shouldn't be about the cameras. It's about the performances that they put on. And there is no reason for it. And I think it was not exactly the best way you could do it. If you're going to, if you're going to, to film musicals, you should film this way where let's film a live production which is what they did. They got audience in there. They brought the original cast back and they did a one-night performance where they did this for the filming. So they probably could stop or do things that they need to, but really it's got that live feel or as close to it as possible. But again, the camera decided to be a little too much um, and I think that that takes away from it. So that's really my criticism of Hamilton. It has nothing to do with the actual piece, which I thought was very, very well done. I could have just used... Park the camera, point it at the stage, that's it. Track the action at most, and move it here and there, but you don't need all those crazy zoom-ins and 16 different angles and have the camera back up at certain times. It takes away from the action in a big way. But Hamilton is worth watching. It's worth seeing. I'm giving it like a see it because it's worth it, but just keep that in mind. I don't want people judging musical theater based upon the movies and the poor filming and the really bad live ABC productions that are done, that is not musical theater. Those are all bad versions of musical theater. I know we're running out of time, but there yeah. is one thing that I want to address real quick, and we won't be able to get into it. But I have seen a lot of articles um, in the wake of Hamilton being available now to stream um, that the majority of... Broadway productions are filmed, yep. but yep. they never see the light of day, nope. and they end up in archives. Yep. And my suspicion is that they are recorded very much in the way that you're advocating for, because you know they're filmed really for, I guess, an archival record. Yeah, probably. Record of it. Um, you know, I know they do this with ballets um, in order to um, keep a visual record of how the production was done as well as costuming, continuity, all that kind of stuff, right? So um, it really, and I, we have, I guess it, it hasn't been up on the streaming platform long enough, but I, my suspicion is that it's been wildly successful and well-watched, this Hamilton production. I would, I would so, suspect so, yeah. You know, it really goes back to that question of accessibility, and if we have all of these archival footage of, original like first run productions right yeah why are we not why are they not available to the public and and i think that i hope that this someone will, change, will things. change things yes because i have i have a a released copy of into the woods the original broadway basically it's an archival movie that they made and it's phenomenal 
and it's filmed very much in the way I'm talking about it. The, the camera is basically where you would be seated in the audience. Unfortunately, we are out of time, and Taylor, that was a great point, and I hope you're right. Um, but we are out of time this week. Um, maybe we can pick this up a little bit uh, next week. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Yep, go stream some movies. Thank you for listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded at CFRC at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Queen's University sits on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee and Anishabi peoples. We would like to thank the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences and the CFRC Podcast Network.